0: We started to jump into the book. We talked a bit about discipleship, what it means for us to be disciples, followers of Christ. I, uh, I gave you a brief history lesson talking about Benjamin Franklin. We'll revisit him, if not the end of the day, later later uh, next week. Uh, we talked about uh, Karate Kid. We talked about Cobra Kai. Anybody inspired to watch Cobra Kai this week? Okay, good. Okay, because there's really a the better way to spend your time than watching Cobra Kai, but... I uh, use the example of us as a dojo. This is a training environment for us. We're, we're sparring partners. This is where we encourage and challenge each other to, to grow in discipleship and, and wisdom and knowledge. And then we start to dig into the book and look at this idea that, um, that there's a dangerous dichotomy, he calls it, between what we say we believe, what we profess with our mouth, and what our, what we, how we live, our, what he calls our functional theology, what we actually live by. We started to explore that uh, that dichotomy, that gap in our lives between what we say we believe and how we actually live. So I've been, uh, you know, I forgot what that uh, psychological effect is where you're, you know, you you become aware of something, you see it all over the place. Like if you you're looking for white cars, all of a sudden white cars are everywhere. So I've been uh, keeping my feelers out this week for for things that show us the importance of for us of believing what we believe. And there's just evidence is everywhere. So. Um, we live in crazy times. You all know that. I know that. Uh, and if you saw this week in the news, there was the article about the, uh, about the MOPOP, formerly known as the EMP, the, you know, the museum down at Seattle Center. So this summer, they're having their, I think it's the third annual, um, third annual Drag Queen Summer Camp. This is, yeah, th- this is real, Barry. Uh, this opportunity for kids 12 and up. To go to week-long camp where they can develop a new persona, they can learn how to put makeup on, you know, fix their hairstyles, and at the end of the week they get to put on a performance with this new persona. It gives them a week to you know, explore themselves, their new identity, get in touch with their authentic self. Um, we live in strange, strange times. Um, anybody know who uh, who Carl Truman is? Yeah, Carl Truman is a uh, currently he's a professor at. Uh, Grove City College, was a longtime professor at Westminster in Philadelphia as a church history professor. He is uh, he's also an OPC minister. He is one of the most astute cultural critics, I think, from a Christian perspective recently. He, he writes articles critiquing culture and just really insightful. So about a year and a half ago, he wrote a book, and this is the, uh, the title, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And this is the uh, subtitle. If this doesn't make you want to read the book, I don't know what will. Cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism, and the Road to Sexual Revolution. Now that, I mean, that is a scintillating subtitle, right? But what he does is he, he looks at this question. How do we get to the point in Western society where a boy can say he's a girl and hardly anyone bats an eye at it? In fact, it's encouraged, it's applauded, supported, because they're getting in touch with their authentic self, the, the real them, right? And he goes back to the seventeen hundreds and explores the path that led us to this point, looking at uh, you know Rousseau, he goes through marx, Nietzsche, all these philosophers and up through Freud, Freud of the present day. and it's amazing how you can follow this path from what was going on three hundred years ago to where we're at now. And I bring this up because he just came out with a a new book, this kind of a uh, you know a, like a dumbed down or a more user-friendly version of this book called. Strange New World, and I've seen reviews about this book this week, and here's a snippet from the book. He says, The world in which we live seems set to be entering a new, chaotic, uncharted, and dark era, but we should not despair. We need to prepare ourselves, be informed, know what we believe and why we believe it. That's his basic summary. We need to know as Christians today what we believe, why we believe it, and according to Paul Tripp, we need to, to live what we believe, uh, take that next step. Another data point from this week, the American Bible Society released their annual State of the Bible in America report, which they do every year. And there were some drastic drops over the past year in, the, uh, in Bible usage. And they define a Bible user as someone who uses the Bible outside of church three or four times a year. These aren't heavy Bible users, three or four times a year, and the number of people who, the percentage of people who said they use the Bible three or four times a year, dropped from last year to this year by 11 percent, the largest drop they've ever seen. And they had a survey asking all these different questions about Bible usage, how many to read the Bible, how important is it to your, is it to in your life? Uh, And they came with various categories of people. There's you know Scripture engaged, Scripture disengaged. And the number of Americans who are who they label scripture-engaged, which means they read the Bible consistently, it's important in their lives to try to live their lives by it, dropped by 21% over the last year. The number of people who are Bible-disengaged, which means they interact very frequently with the Bible, they don't read it, has no influence on their lives, increased by 38% over the last year. So over the last year, folks have become totally disengaged from from truth from the bible and they ask themselves how did this happen how do we this, this last year how do we get such a drastic drop in their interaction with the bible and what do you think they came up with Any ideas what might have been the cause they came up with Lack of church attendance. <sighs> exactly for the pandemic because people have have left their church during a pandemic have not come back. And the church is where you engage with the Bible. The church is where you're encouraged. You hear preaching from the Word. You hear you're encouraged to read the Bible and make it you know, an important part of your life. So they attribute this all to really the pandemic. People have left the church and not come back. And you see articles about this all the time, how churches have lost people during the pandemic and no one's coming back. So this pandemic has had a you know, horrible effect on, on uh, our culture and all sorts of aspects, including the way we interact with the Bible. So um, so our goal this day is to, is to see what the Bible says about itself and how we interact with the Bible, uh, looking at—we'll uh, finish up the, the uh, introduction today. We will uh, get a good jump into the first chapter, look into the doctrine of the Bible, and we'll not finish it, we'll get close to it, um, and then we'll pray ourselves through next week looking at how the Bible should function in our lives, how we should use it. So, so first of all, any thoughts on the book? Anybody have any feedback on, do you like the book? Is so it too deep, too long, too heavy, either physically heavy or mentally heavy? So my mom is a big reader like I am, and she, when she found out she was teaching this class, she bought the book herself, and the first thing she said was, this was a really heavy book. Like, this is really big. It's like, yeah, it really is. I mean, it's like a solid book and really thick paper. But she loves Paul Tripp, so she's enjoyed it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a good, good, heavy reading, right? All right. So we're going to talk about Scripture next, uh, this week and next week, and um, I found that uh, you know in classes where you talk about Scripture and its place in your life, that there's a tendency to kind of beat yourselves up over not reading the Bible enough. Isn't that true? Uh, so my goal this week and next week is really to make ourselves really bad for not reading the Bible enough, and if I've done that, then I've succeeded. So if you don't feel like you're reading the Bible enough, you're, this is the right class. So that's, that's not my intention at all. The intention is to see Scripture as a gift, as a treasure God's given to us, and how that should impact our lives, how we should use it. I want to start by, uh, by reading a Bible before I press on. We are being recorded, so I'm going to try to use correct English, and, and if, you, if you speak, please you know, refrain from using words you shouldn't use and all that stuff, so you'll be recorded for posterity. Um, I'm going to read a letter. This is a letter from, uh, from my father my actual father, my biological father. Um, my father was a, uh, a pilot in the Navy, and I was crazy enough to follow him in his, in his career path. Um, when I was uh, 16 years old, I was a junior in high school. He was uh, deployed overseas to the Middle East. He was uh, commanding a squadron on a uh, aircraft carrier, USS Carl Vinson. And, uh, and we all know what life is like as a 16-year-old, all the stuff you go through in life, all the your challenges you face. And uh, he wasn't there to you know, mentor me in person, so he mentored me through his letters. So I'll read one of those letters for you. This was written. Uh, actually, he writes Monday, uh, 25 August, and he crosses it out. Says, "Oops." Tuesday, 26 August. And he says, "We skipped Monday when we crossed the international date line." So, have you ever been experienced that? You know what's that like to to lose that day in your life? So, he says, "I just got your letter." Um, Telling me about your driver's license, congratulations in spades. You did very well, and with the toughest inspector too. That's great. It sounds as though you were pretty nervous. That's okay. You still came through, and that's the most important thing. Going. I guess now you'll have. You'll His writing's really horrible, so I'm trying to decipher this. I guess you'll have, now you'll have to run errands for mommy. You know, the more you drive, the better you'll get. You soon won't be making curb bounces and starting off in third gear, which I did on my driver's test. So. I got better at parallel parking, and I don't drive a manual transition anymore, so that's transmission, so that's not a, not a problem anymore. All right, so be proud. You've made quite an accomplishment. By the time you get this letter, uh, you will have had uh, about a week of football, and I imagine you'll be pretty sore. Don't worry. Just do the best you can and hang in there. Cruise is really moving along. We've gone about 600 miles south of the Aleutians and are heading down the Kamchatka Peninsula toward Japan. We are quite close to Russia and they are watching us with long range bear aircraft and spy boats. We also watch them, needless to say, thank goodness. The weather started to warm up a bit. We have been flying around the clock lately in cold water survival suits, which is a horrible experience. I've been there, done that. It's horrible. I've been wearing a driver's wetsuit under my flight suit and smell like a tire on a car all the time. Whether you're calling some away some alerts, uh, I better go. I really am proud of you and love you very much. I've been waiting anxiously with my fingers crossed to hear about your test. Keep on trucking, Dad. Um, there are many more letters he wrote. He wrote a long letter at the beginning of my junior year, kind of a pep talk for you know football season and basketball and academics and stuff. And we uh, during that time he was gone. We uh, exchanged talks about you know, naval academy. I decided I want to go to naval academy and all these sorts of things. And the most scathing letter he wrote was one of the last letters where he found out I had been benched on the basketball team for some a few games where I didn't play very well. I got benched, and he had to administer some tough love to me. It was kind of a kind of a through through letters. So, but uh, these are precious to me. My father died at the end, beginning of my senior year of high school. So these letters are precious to me. I mean, he kind of speaks to me still through these letters. Um, so I think about them frequently, but you know, someday I'll probably toss them in the garbage. I'll get old and won't read them. You know, I'll pass them on to the kids and they'll toss them because they have, don't mean anything to them, really. But it's amazing to me, thinking about it, that there are letters written in this book you know, 2,000 years ago by guys like the Apostle Paul, who I don't know, has no relationship to me, but they're more important to me than the letters of my own father wrote. And they speak to me. I can read them over and over. And I memorize them. and they, They're such important letters. Um, so I was encouraged this week looking at this class and thinking about the role of Scripture in our lives. Um, I brought out this book that I read years ago from J.I. A. Packer, a book called Truth and Power. He's one of my favorite authors. I mean, he died several years ago, but he wrote Knowing God and just an amazing writer. And so I, in the book, he, he gives some advice on how to look at Scripture, how Scripture plays a role in our lives, and he talks about Scripture being a light to our path. He talks about Scripture being a lifeline that we grab when we need to be rescued. He also talks about Scripture as a letter. He says this, look up on the Bible as a letter addressed to you personally by the divine Lord. What's a letter? It's a written document addressed to a particular person or persons expressing to them the writer's mind and thereby defining in some way the writer-reader relationship. There are business letters, love letters, circular letters, thank you letters, begging letters, large letters, and many other kinds. In the fullness of his foreknowledge and the wisdom of his providence, God has so designed Holy Scripture that it comes to each of us, each of the readers, on every occasion as communication tailored to the reader's need, addressed to that reader's head and heart, and asking that reader for a specific response to what the divine writer is saying. The breathtaking truth is that Holy Scripture in its entirety is the Word of God, directed personally to everyone whom it reaches in order to set up, to deepen, and to enrich a personal love relationship between the divine sender and the human recipient. So even though you know, Paul didn't have us in mind when he wrote First Timothy or Second Timothy, the Holy Spirit certainly did, and the Holy Spirit you know, inspired Paul to write words that, that speak to us every time we open that book, um, you know, much more than even my father's letters speak to me. So I want to encourage us throughout this, and the rest of this class today and next week to think about Scripture as divine correspondence from God to us, that uh, you know, this, this, is, this is for us. This isn't just something we read about that was written long ago, and, and this is great stuff to read. This is a, this inspired Word of God that, that speaks to us even today. So last week we finished up looking at uh, this, what he calls a dangerous dichotomy, dichotomy between what we say we believe and, and how we actually live. So let's dig back into uh, the introduction here, the section where he talks about um, the importance of doctrine, looking at page uh, page 17. And I got apologize, I didn't bring my whiteboard because it was raining, I decided I didn't want to get it wet, so we'll have to go without the whiteboard today, but we'll find a way to, uh, to power through this morning So he talks about the importance of doctrine, kind of setting up what he's talking about in the rest of the book, where he's going to examine specific doctrines that we're going to look at. Um, and what he does here, he says that uh, you know, we're, we're always interpreting what we see in the world. Uh, we're always thinking, we're always interpreting everything we experience. We're kind of filtering through this mental framework we have, worldview, whatever you want to call it. Um, and we're always interpreting our experience. And the amazing thing is people can experience the exact same thing, and they have very different interpretations. Isn't that true? We've seen that throughout the last couple of years. People have interpreted their experiences through the pandemic in very different ways. Um, Michael Horton has a really good um, example of how this works. He talks about three people being you're standing beside the graveside of a loved one at a funeral. And how each person can have a very different interpretation of what's going on at that funeral. One person can see it as basically just a bunch of flesh that's decaying back into its you know, constituent atoms and everything. One person can see it as, the, uh, as a soul being liberated from the body to achieve a higher reincarnation. And one person can see it as, uh, as death in Adam, the death of the body in Adam, awaiting the resurrection in the Lord. Even a simple thing like this, we're always interpreting through our own experience and based on our own beliefs which is why it's so critical for us that, that our beliefs are founded upon Scripture, you know, what Scripture teaches. So he goes through explaining what Scripture is. He talks about Scripture, looking at page 20, top of page 20, Scripture as being a, a story, a narrative, a drama. Scripture is the, the, the grand story of the world that takes us all the way from creation through the fall, the story of redemption, up to the, the recreation, the new creation at the end of the Bible, um, so scripture is, is this grand drama. Uh, I was thinking this week how to, how to explain this and how do you have a grand drama that encompasses 66 books of such different material? And we have, you know, history and, and poems and songs and prophecies and, and scripture and, and letters. I was thinking it's more like a, uh, it's kind of like a, a family history or a family scrapbook. Where throughout your family history, you have stories going back, your family lore going back in the past. You may have genealogies that trace your ancestors. You may have, you know, poems that your ancestors have written or songs or letters they've written throughout the years. And so this is our, this is our family history. The Bible is our family history that tells us who we are, where we came from. And most importantly, it tells us who God is, what he's revealed about himself to us. So what a, what a precious treasure we have in this book here. At the uh, middle of that, of that first full paragraph on page 20, he has what I call uh, Paul Trippism. If you read Paul Tripp, there are certain things in his books that you see over and over and over, uh, just constantly. One of those is that um, if you have a specific you know, issue you're going to the Bible for, parenting or, or marriage or whatever it is, most of the stuff on that topic is not found in, in sections that address it, directly address that topic. So most of the parenting information in Scripture is not found directly in passages that talk about parenting or marriage. Um, I read a book uh, recently by Paul Tripp about, about midlife, because I'm at the age where I'm supposed to have a midlife crisis in my 50s, right? And the Bible says nothing about midlife. If you look at the accordance to your Bible, there's nothing that talks about midlife in there. But there's all kinds of stuff in Scripture that talks about stuff you need to know for midlife. And one of the points he emphasizes over and over is the importance of reading all of Scripture, because there's stuff all in Scripture that applies to every area of your life. So the Bible isn't like a, uh, an encyclopedia or a handbook or, a, uh, or even a textbook where you can go to the, the, you know, t- the index in the back and find what you're looking for, um, which is good because no one reads textbooks, right? Um, if i of you noticed that this, in this prayer last week, Pastor Nate was praying and thanking God for the story he's given to us in Scripture that it's not a handbook, it's not an index. And I was thinking, man, it's from the book. He's, he's copying his prayer from the book. Um, but it's true, we don't, we don't memorize textbooks, but stories we read over and over and over. Um, so we're, we should be so thankful for the story he's given us in Scripture here. Um, I underlined this section at the end of that paragraph. He says that every passage tells me something I need to know about every area of my life. That's a pretty powerful statement that you see over and over in Paul Tripp here. Well, from, these, from this drama, from this big story, we have doctrines. We have specific teachings that have developed over the years. And that's kind of, he explains that it's summarizing our faith, kind of like theological shorthands. Um, justification is one of those. Those, uh, those words in the Bible that uh, tell a whole story. Um, sometimes those words are from outside the Bible. We use the word Trinity to describe relationship between the three persons of the Godhead. Trinity is not found in the Bible, but that's a Bible word that describes a whole lot of theology for us. Um, even the Bible itself has, has theology in it, or doctrine in it. If you look at a statement from Paul, like, um, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. A very simple doctrinal statement, but there's a whole lot of story wrapped up in that, isn't there? Um, you know, who is, who is Christ? Um, why did he have to die for his sins? What are sins? You know, how is this all happening in accordance with the Scriptures? Even a simple statement like that has so much content to it. It takes the whole Scripture, really, to tell the story, of that one simple verse. So from those, from those truths in scripture, the doctrines, we have uh, doctrinal statements we have developed in the church. And one of those is the Apostles' Creed from the very, very early church. And if you think about it, the Apostles' Creed is nothing, ri- but nothing more than a series of statements in the form of a story. It starts out talking about God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, going back to the very beginning of creation it jumps forward a lot of years to Christ, but goes through the story of Christ in detail, as being born of a virgin, suffering upon his father, crucified, dead, and buried. He jumps forward as a spirit, looking at Pentecost and the role of the spirit in the church. It's really, it's really a series of doctrinal statements in the form of this, this grand narrative that, that makes up the whole Bible, this whole story here. Um, so he goes on to, at the next page, page uh, 21, um, and what I love about Paul Tripp is, is he helps you see things in Scripture that you've passed over so many times, that you've read a passage countless times, but he'll, he'll present a new twist on it, a new perspective. So if you look at uh, page 21, the, uh, the verse he quotes from Isaiah 55, you're probably more familiar with the verses that come before that, talking about um, God's power will not go out empty, will accomplish the purposes for which it is intended. Uh, he looks further down at those verses, looking at the transforming power of God's word, that uh, you know, God's word can take, take a thorn and make a cypress out of it. Um, just the amazing transforming power of God's word. He can take you know, pathetic creatures like us and make us into little Christs. He's forming us into something that we couldn't be ourselves without his word uh, guiding and impacting us. So all that's really a setup for uh, what he talks about here at the, end of the, uh, the introduction. He talks about 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Um, it really, this, is, this is really the, the key, the critical verse in all Scripture, where Scripture describes itself, tells us about itself, right? I'm sure you're all familiar with this passage, but I'll go ahead and uh, read it anyways, since it's a letter from... Paul, who calls himself, uh, who calls Timothy his child. So this is a letter from the a spiritual father named Paul to his, to his uh, spiritual child, Timothy. And, and Pastor Nate talked about Timothy this past week, um, what his, his story was. Um, I'll start in verse, uh, verse 14 of chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you, have, whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Then he goes on briefly, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, By his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. So Paul Tripp uses this as his kind of the foundation for what he's going to leap off from into the rest of the chapters in the book here, looking at the role of this passage. It's interesting. I thought that he doesn't see this as kind of a a mixture of terms. This is really a process he talks about that that Scripture confronts us with as we go through it uh, and see how it applies to our lives. First, teaching. What does he say about the teaching? You can look at your books if you want. What does he say about the teaching? What role does the teaching, the doctrine play in our lives? Teaching is a standard. Yeah, teaching is that God has made it very clear you know, what we are to know and how we are to live. Uh, the catech- confession talks about um, the only rule of faith in life. This is the, teach- this is the standard we live by in, in the word. Uh, that, we're, that we're supposed to guide our lives by. Um, he makes the point that everyone carries a Bible around with them. Everyone's got some standards, some, some rules, some, some guide for life, um, which makes it even more important that we have the, the source of truth as our guide here. All right, what about reproof? How does he talk about reproof? That word reproof that, that Paul used in Timothy. Yeah, reproof is the idea that Scripture is a mirror. That we, and We'll we talk more about this next week when, when he goes through the different ways that Scripture functions in our lives. But Scripture is like a mirror. Where, I mean, how many of us get up in the morning and look in the mirror and don't like what we see, right? We should do that when we come to Scripture. We should see ourselves in Scripture and not like what we see because there are some blemishes and imperfections. I mean, they don't match up. He talks about Scripture as a mirror. He talks about Scripture as a measuring stick. Scripture is a measuring stick we measure our lives by. Um, what an important role that plays we'll look at more of these next week like, as I said when we go through some of the, uh, the ways that scripture works and, and, uh, and Calvin uh, if you read into Calvin I haven't read a whole bunch of Calvin but I see this example he talks about scripture being a mirror over and over and over how we, how we see ourselves in scripture and, uh, and we, should, you know, we should not like what we see most of the time right? Um, what about correction what's the role of correction in the life of, uh, of a Christian here Yeah, correction is where we close that gap between what we see in the mirror and what we should be looking like, right? Between our functional theology and our confessional theology. And he talks about this uh, process we go through—the sanctification. The, uh, he calls it the uh, the comparison correction process. We're always comparing ourselves to what Scripture says and, and correcting ourselves, right? I say, so here's the TV show we're gonna talk about for the week. I read this and I thought about the TV show Amazing Race. Anybody watch Amazing Race? You should be raising your hand because I know you watch it. <laughs> all right, good. You've seen it? Amazing Race is this race that uh, 12, 12 teams go on around the world, and, uh, and they have you know various stops along the way, In each segment of the race they have tasks they have to complete. Uh, it could be all sorts of things like eating crazy food or jumping off some you know, some building or all kinds of crazy stuff. Every once in a while, they have a task that involves reproducing something. So sometimes they'll have a, a, a painting. You have to reproduce in exact detail to, to pass that step and go on to the next stage. Sometimes it'll be like a, a fancy table laid out for a meal, and you have to recreate this, this table with all the silverware, the place settings, and exact detail with the measurements and everything. Or you have to... Uh, maybe like a room, a a fancy, you know, furnished room. You got to decorate it just like the model is. So you'll see these teams come to this task, and they'll be constantly comparing their room to what the model is, you know, back and forth, back and forth, trying to get every exact detail right. Um, And inevitably, on every event, there are a couple teams that miss something. There'll be some little detail that they miss, maybe a you know, some brush stroke on a painting, or they didn't get the, the fork the proper distance away from the plate, whatever it is. And they'll just be agonizing for you know, sometimes hours, agonizing over what did I do wrong in this, in, this, in, this, uh, in this challenge here. And the producers of the show, what they'll do is they'll, they'll like zoom in. They'll zoom in on this mistake, and they'll highlight it so you can see exactly what's going, wrong, what's going on here. And I thought about that in comparison to this, how we're constantly comparing ourselves to the model, but sometimes there's something we don't see in ourselves. There's something we're blind to. And no matter how long we look at ourselves, we just don't see it. That's what I enjoy by Paul Tripp, because he, when he writes his books, he has so many examples in there. And you see this over and over, people missing you know, important things in their lives, like people with anger issues who don't see themselves as being angry. It's always someone else's fault, right? And there's so many areas in our lives where, where we're blind to these uh, mistakes in our lives, these errors, and we need to use this comparison correction function, but we need other people to help us do it, right? Because we're sometimes so blind to our own faults. And, uh, and Paul Tripp will talk about that um, throughout the book here, how we're blind to our own faults. And finally, the, the teaching or the training function of Scripture, which is uh, faithfully putting the standards into practice. Um, and he says, I underline this here, embedded in every doctrine of the Word of God is a call to brand new ways of living. That's what the training function of Scripture is. You know what is God calling me to do with this, with this teaching, with this doctrine here? Um, we looked at a couple of these things last week. The, the example of Peter and in and, uh, and Antioch and, and Jonah. So I want to finish up briefly, looking at this last section here, where you list some questions, and these questions are going to carry us all throughout the book. Questions about uh, the place of doctrine in our lives and. You can read through those. So, as you come to each section of the book, reading the, both the doctrinal section and the, and the everyday living section, ask yourself these questions. I think the most important one we're going to be looking at is the last one. Are there places where we have become comfortable with a dichotomy between what we say we believe and the way we live? So, as you look at the doctrine of Scripture or the doctrine of God or justification, ask yourself is there a, is there a dichotomy, a gap in my life between. What I know Scripture teaches. What I say with my mouth and the way I'm living my life, and that'll carry us on throughout the uh, throughout the book here. All right. Any questions or comments as we finish up the introduction before we move on here? All right. We've we've laid the groundwork for the rest of the book here. So I want to talk briefly. We're not going to get too far in chapter one, but I want to br- talk briefly about the doctrine of Scripture and the and the and what Scripture is and. If you notice, if anybody started reading, did you start reading that first page of the first chapter on the Doctrine of Scripture and think to yourself, wow, this is the Westminster Confession of Faith? Anybody think that to themselves? Okay, you are good Presbyterians, okay? For all of you who didn't think that when you're reading it, we need to do some remedial confession training. Uh, He's basically, as his footnote says on the second page, he's summarizing the Westminster Confession of Faith, that first chapter, right? Um, i got a, a panda that I'll pass out next week for us to kind of work through this a little bit. But um, this is an amazing chapter in the Confession of Faith. This, it's one of the most amazing, amazing uh, sections in the Confession of Faith itself. And this is what B.B. Uh, Warfield, if you're familiar with B.B. Warfield, he was a, a theologian, a professor at Westminster Seminary the end of the 18th, end of the 19th, early 20th century, he was just a, a staunch defender of the uh, inspiration and authority of the Bible, if uh, battling against this the higher criticism, this liberal movement in the church. Um, and this is, what, this is what he said about the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, this first chapter here. He says, There is certainly in the whole mass of confessional literature no more nobly conceived or ably wrought out statement of doctrine than the chapter on the Holy Scripture which the Westminster divines placed at the head of their system of doctrine. He says, in all of confessional literature, all the confessions that have been written, there is no better doctrinal summary than this first chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, this, this is the, you don't get any better than this, talking about the doctrine of Scripture. And I think you can see that when you're, when you're working your way through it here. So the Confession of Faith starts out talking about uh, general revelation, what, uh, what is general revelation here? And the, the way Paul, Paul Tripp summarizes the, the teachings here. What is general revelation? How has God revealed himself to us? Creation. You've revealed yourself in creation, right? It talks about the confession talks about the light of nature and the works of creation problems. So God has revealed himself to us in our own nature. I mean, we are stamped in the divine image, He has made us in His image. So there's a. There's an awareness that we have, just based up our own humanity, that God exists. We know that God exists. And on top of that, He's—I mean, there's so many evidences of his glory in creation. You know, he describes the uh, importance of Romans 1, 18 through 20, and how God talks about it. I mean, there, there are no atheists, right? Everyone knows that, that God exists. Everyone knows he's powerful, and everyone knows about his wisdom. Um, on top of that, God's given us so many evidences of his glory in creation. Um, we went to the uh, tulip fields up in Skagit Valley on Friday, um, and how can you look at that and not think to yourself, wow, there's got to be a divine artist who made all this. I mean, this, this is just amazing. I mean, this is a pointer to the creator. Uh, the glory of the heavens, the moon and the stars which he set in place, testify to his glory. Um, I was reading, talking about Calvin, reading Calvin, uh, his sermons on Genesis not too long ago. He talks about creation being a theater of God's glory. We can look anywhere in creation and see God's glory on display. And he says that if you just look at your fingernail, your fingernail tells you there's a creator. I find kind of hard to believe, but Calvin said it, so we need to believe this, okay, that our fingernail testifies that there is a creator. But you look at our body, the way it works, and it's just an amazing, amazing thing. That God has created everything testifies to God's, God's glory his uh, his his divine power so if that's the case why do we need scripture why do we have scripture if if, if God has testified to his glory and his power and his existence in nature why do we have scripture Yeah, exactly. The, the confession says that all these general revelation is not sufficient. It's not sufficient to give us the knowledge of salvation that we need. And there's so much in scripture that we would just not know if it wasn't in there. We could go from the beginning to the end and see how that works. But scripture is such a treasure that we have that God has revealed himself to us, told us who he is. He told us what has happened to make the world go wrong and what he's doing to fix it. He's telling us, he tells us how we can become his children. He's, he's telling us where is all going to end up at the end? Um, there's things in Scripture that we would find nowhere else. That you know, this special revelation that uh, that Timothy talks about, or Paul talks about in his letter to Timothy, and is really throughout Scripture. What a precious, what a precious treasure we have in uh, in Scripture. This idea that you know, God has spoken. God has spoken in His Word, and uh, if God has spoken, we need to listen, right? How many people remember the the E. F. Hutton commercials? Okay, if, if, you, if you are, you're dating yourself. E.F. Hutton was a stockbroker and uh, there would be a, a buzz of people in a room talking and then one guy would say, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And the room would get deathly silent. And the punchline was, when E.F. Hutton talks, everybody listens or something like that, right? So when God speaks, we need to listen. He's spoken to us in his word and has given us uh, amazing, amazing truths here. Um, I want to finish by uh, we'll wrap up some more in that chapter next week. I want to finish up by talking about a, uh, a story I read this week because I think it's uh, an amazing example of uh, the role scripture plays in our lives It's about something called the the Hoard. Horde. Anybody heard about the hoxon horde? You probably haven't because i haven't heard of it hadn't heard of it until this week. I read about it but in 1992, a a farmer outside this tiny village of Hoxon in England lost his hammer. Instead of going to the store and buying another one, he found uh, he found one of his buddies, who is a uh, retired old, retired gentleman, and was an amateur um, detectorist. Anybody know what a detectorist is? Guys who love going out with their metal detector, right? And there's actually a TV. Everybody see the TV show? Okay, is it good? Okay, so don't watch Cobra Kai. Watch the detectorist, all right? So his friend was a detectorist. He comes out with his uh, metal detector and looking around through these fields, and they find the hammer. So good news, they found the hammer. But they also found an amazing treasure. They found a, uh, a treasure that had been buried for 1,500 years. It was uh, an oak chest filled. The chest had disintegrated largely by this point, but it was filled with, uh, with coins from the Roman Empire nearly 15,000 coins, the largest cache of coins from that era they've ever found. Most of them were silver, some were gold, some were bronze. There were uh, you know, gold jewelry, rings in there, necklaces. They had uh, um, spoons, silver spoons, things like that. Just an amazing treasure worth millions of dollars you know, in terms of value, but I mean, its, it's historical value was much, much more than that. Um, just an amazing find. What they suspect was that it was buried in the early fifth century, so you know, early four hundreds, when the Roman Empire was disintegrating, was in chaos, um, and the Roman army left England, which they'd inhabited for, had been you know, had a presence there since the, the mid first century. Roman army leaves England, chaos descends. You know, the Angles and Saxons start to start to raid uh, raid England. And some wealthy Britons had figured, hey, we need to protect our, our wealth here. We're going to bury it in this field and come back and get it when things improve. But obviously, it never came back and wasn't discovered for 1,500 years. So it got me thinking about the, the role of Scripture in our lives. How is this a fitting analogy? Um, my encouragement to you as, you as you go through your Bible reading this week and, and you prepare yourselves for Easter next week is, is to get out your metal detector as you're reading Scripture get your metal detector out because you will find treasure in God's word. There is something there you will discover. And it may be something that has been there all along and you've been over this, this ground many times before with a metal detector and have never found it. But this week you'll find it. Uh, this week something will speak to you that has never spoken to you before um, like it may this week. And that's the beauty of scripture. You can read it over and over, over. I'm searched some passages that many of us have read hundreds, if not thousands of times, and we come to it and we see something there that we didn't even see before. Isn't that amazing how Scripture works? Because it's God's letter to us, This God speaking to us. And every time we come to it, it's as fresh as the first time. So my encouragement to you this week is, is to get your metal detector out, uh, search through Scripture, and find that treasure that's buried there for us. And next week, we're going to look more at, uh, at the, the function Scripture plays in our lives. And my encouragement to you this week is, I know it's a busy week and stuff, but uh, if you can, just read a couple sections in the next chapter each week on chapter two. He lists a whole bunch of ways the Scripture functions in our lives, and it's, it's almost too much to sit down and read in one sitting, because I found myself just having to stop each, after each section, just think about it, a little, process it. So probably better, if you can, if you've got time, to kind of go through it a little bit each week, each morning as you're reading We'll talk more about that week, the scripture, the function of Scripture plays in our lives. We'll start by finishing chapter chapter one, looking at uh, at f- how we have you know, educated fools in our world. World people are geniuses, but in the big picture they are fools. And now I'll, I'll finish the story of uh, Benjamin Franklin. Anybody watch the documentary this week? I didn't think you would, so I'm not disappointed. But It was a Benjamin Franklin documentary on it earlier this week. I watched a little bit of it, but... Uh, I spent more time reading the biography that I've finished. So I'm going to tell you how Benjamin Franklin's life ends up, what, it, what happens at the end of his life, uh, and how Franklin was a genius, but he was a fool. We'll look at that next week and then uh, dig into chapter two. So, Any questions or comments before we wrap up here? All right, let's finish with prayer here. Father, your word is such a treasure. Um, what a gift to us that you revealed yourself in your word. You've, you told us who you are, you uh, revealed your son to us in your word, and uh, we, could, we could scour through scriptures for the rest of our lives and, and never reach the bottom of it. We could, never, we could never get our arms wrapped around it. We thank you for this word. We pray you would help us to treasure it, to read it, that we would uh, know its truths, and that it would guide our lives. So be with our studies. we go through this book here, Their lives would be transformed by your word. We pray for the preaching of the word this morning. And remember that uh, as Paul wrote to Timothy, he was writing to a preacher who was struggling with his uh, with his church in Ephesus, but these deep truths of Scripture were supposed to um, were supposed to encourage him to be to preach the Word. If, if the Word is so important that that it, it guides our thinking and we need to use it to correct ourselves, that it's got to be preached. It's got to be preached weekly. So we thank you for the preaching of the Word here. We thank you for Pastor Nate and Austin and Pastor Ed and Barry bringing the Word to us this morning. We pray you would bless him as he brings us the Word and. We pray we do all things this morning to your glory because we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.